Welcome to Reframed, a podcast created to educate, encourage, and inspire parents and professionals. The research is clear. Parenting a child that has a history of loss, abuse, neglect, or trauma requires parenting skills and insight to be reframed. We partner with child welfare experts to bring you evidence-based and research-driven information. Reframed host, Emily Moorhead, LPC, and guests strive to make an impact on our world by creating conversations about topics that are important to you, your family, and our communities. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Reframed. I'm your host, Emily Moorhead, and today I'm joined with my colleague, Lindsay. Lindsay, tell me about yourself. I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I have worked at Gladney for about eight years. I work in our post-adoption department, primarily with families who adopt children from foster care after they finalize their adoptions. So I help with finding resources or talking through behaviors or just talking to parents who are having a really hard time, um, which, you know, we're doing a lot of right now. And I am also a parent. I have um, a two-year-old little girl. Awesome. And one of your passions as a parent and as a parent educator is to talk with parents about allowing their children the opportunity to have predictability in their lives. So I am not a predictable person. So I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain on this today. Why is that important? Yeah. So for children, especially, but honestly, for all of us, um, predictability really is synonymous with safety. So if there's an unknown or a change, it tends to bring up fear when we don't know what's gonna happen. That's kind of our first reaction. And if we don't know what's coming next, our brains will naturally fill in the blanks with worst case scenarios. Um, That's just what they're designed to do for survival. Uh, So like with very young children, um, you know, for people that maybe have had toddlers or preschoolers or even school-aged children, um, you'll see them do things like wanting to read the same books over and over or watch the same movies over and over. Um, And that is part of them creating predictability for themselves. It's comforting um, for them to hear a story that they know the ending to. Um, And I even know adults that do that with like their favorite TV shows or things like that. Um, so having a comfort in knowing what will happen next creates that safety and security. So a lot of times we have just like general routines. So for example, during the school year, you wake up, you get dressed, you eat breakfast, you go to school. What happens when we're in seasons of life that don't have that natural structure of, um, predictability or schedule to them? Yeah, so uh, there are kids that do struggle with transitions to those seasons. Uh, we often hear from parents when the school year ends and then when the school year is beginning again, because it's just a big change in routine. Uh, but it kind of depends on your child. Some kids do really well with kind of going with the flow and some kids really thrive in that structure of the school year so knowing what your child needs is really important I've seen parents create kind of a loose daily schedule for during the summer Um, I've seen parents that get super into it and they do like theme days Um, so figuring out what your child needs and also doing what works for your family to create 
some sort of structure for them so it's not just a free-for-all. So if a parent does have that kind of free-for-all spirit asking for a friend, not myself, um, and a schedule isn't natural for them, what does what do you suggest for parents in those moments? Um, obviously, they, they know it's important because what you just talked about, but what do you suggest for parents to implement to make it easier on themselves and their children? Yes. Yeah, so I would start with the big stuff, um, which for most kids is like, sleep routines and food. Um, so if your child thrives on having a set bedtime, which most children do trying to maintain that even through the summer, um, of course there are always exceptions, you know, I'm not saying like, don't ever have a movie night where you stay up late, but you know, don't automatically be like no bedtimes anymore. And uh, now that we don't have school um, keep with that routine for them, if it works for them. Um, same with naps with younger children um, and then keeping actual meal times. I think uh, children when they're home all day long do have a tendency to graze and just want to do snacks all day long. So you could fall easily, very easily fall into, you know, just not really having meals anymore, just snacks. Um, and if a set meal time is a part of their routine. Keeping that in place can be helpful. Um, so those are like the two big things that you can develop routines around. And then you can, um, out of that, create kind of a loose pattern that you follow during the day of, you know, having a snack or a meal, having activity, having some downtime, and then repeating that. Um, it's Honestly, uh, pretty similar to uh, the routine we followed when my child was an infant, that like she would take a nap and wake up and eat, and then we play for a little while, and then she would nap again. <laughs> um, you can follow a similar routine um, as loosely as you need to uh, with your child to create some structure in your day without having to have like nine o'clock snack, you know, 10 o'clock story time. <laughs> Um, just having that pattern over and over can create that predictability. Um, and then fill it in with other things as they come up. If you want to make, you know, Friday pizza and movie night, or if you want a museum day once a week, um, trying to do those things at a predictable time can help in that structure as well. I think about a lot of our parents, um, and just really any parent in general, when you've lived your whole life um, as a single person, and you've just kind of been able to eat whenever and, you know, watch as much Netflix as you want. Um, it's hard to become a parent and then kind of be forced into this lifestyle of scheduling. Do you experience that when you're working with families who have adopted? And if so, how do you support them in that? Yes, I think a lot of our kids that come with a history of trauma have a very strong structure. So if you don't naturally lean towards structure um, or creating more of a schedule in your house, that might be really counter to your to your instincts. Uh, but honestly, it's just figuring out what your child needs and then meeting that need. So that might be you know, looking up schedules online <laughs> instead of trying to create one out of your own brain or talking with other families who do something similar and implementing that in your own house. Um, I would say that's a big thing uh, that a lot of parents who don't naturally lean towards that like intense predictability struggle with. Um, and then they also struggle with 
um, when the plan changes and their child has a hard time. Uh, and so we have to talk about, you know, letting them know if your day is going to be different in the afternoon than you talked about that morning, you need to call and let them know before you pick them up so that it's not a shock. Um, for a lot of our kids, they can view a change of plans as being lied to, which is a big breach of the relationship. Um, and it's hard for us as adults to understand because we're like, well, the plans just changed. That happens in life. <laughs> um, so learning to look at that through the lens of what your child is experiencing and figuring out what they need from you. And often what they need from you is not what you want to do as a parent, um, which is kind of parenting in a nutshell. Yeah, no joke. One of our speakers that came to Gladney talked about one of the children that he adopted needed a lot of predictability more than they felt equipped at that time to give. And so they did have to kind of shift their mindset because they were seeing a lot of meltdowns. Um, and so one of the things that he said that he would do is like, he started joking, but in the morning he'd be like, or in the at bedtime, he would say things like, okay, and then we're going to go, you know, we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to eat breakfast and then we're going to go to the zoo and then we'll come home and have lunch. And then when he wasn't following exactly what he said, he saw this huge escalation in his child's behavior. So he started actually writing down, here's what I said we were going to do today. It sounds silly, but he said he saw an extreme amount of decrease in negative behaviors in his child. When we're talking about kind of preparing them, um, one of the words that I think of is transition. So kind of walk me through what works well for children with transitions. That, what you just said, kind of laying out, even verbally, this is what we're gonna do today to create that initial predictability is really great. But then, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, as you switch between things, also creating predictability in those transitions. So if you're switching from one activity to another, um, giving a warning before you switch. You know, remember, we've got five more minutes and then we're moving on to do this other thing. Um, and not a warning yelled across the room, a warning, you know, where you're sitting next to them. Um, with a lot of kids, you need to ask for eye contact, have them repeat back how many minutes, then what happens to know that they really got it. Uh, for some kids, that uh, warning transition is really helpful if you set a timer. Um, some of them do okay with that warning coming from you, um, but for some it'll cause a meltdown. So setting a timer is like the timer is telling you it's time to transition instead of mom or dad telling you, and that can often be more neutral and they accept it more easily. Um, and then if you're able to, uh, transition for, to something that they enjoy doing before going on to the next thing. So uh, if your child really likes reading books, then, you know, we're going to go from coloring, then we're going to read a book, and then we're going to go to nap instead of just coloring the nap, um, if that helps them ease that transition. Or alternatively, you can... Uh, put the thing that they enjoy after something that they're not really looking forward to so that they have some motivation. So you have to stop what you're doing now and we have to go run this errand, but after that we'll go to the park. Um, so they have something to look forward to and they know that something they enjoy is coming next. Um, 
that being said, you can do all of those things and they still have a total meltdown <laughs> when it's time to transition because transitions are really hard for our kids. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that as adults, we're dictating their lives. Like they don't have control and get to choose what they want to do. And sometimes they want to, you know, play video games for two hours when they have to be done and we have to go do other things. Um, and they are understandably upset about that. <laughs> um, so when those meltdowns do happen, acknowledging their feelings, their frustration, their anger, their sadness, whatever is coming out, but still facilitating the transition while you're doing that. So I've heard a lot of um, really interesting statistics about transitions and what that child's behavior is like. So something I recently read was that 70% of a child's um kind of like negative behaviors or misbehaviors are revolved around transitions because it kind of is like what you said, that power and control struggle. Um, is this a time to give a child choices during a transition? How would you navigate families with that? Sometimes, yes. Um, you know, like with my toddler, when we start to transition to bedtime, we start with brushing our teeth. So usually um, it's more of a, do you want to hop like a bunny or fly like an airplane? Go brush your teeth. Um, that brings a little bit of playfulness and a choice to give her some power in that. We're, we're all going to brush our teeth, you know, at the end of the day. Um, but that can lend a little more, um, a little more fun to the transition and give her that power. Um, and she's less likely to fight it than if we said, it's time to brush your teeth, you know. Um, go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, but it can also get you into a power struggle. So I think you have to kind of know your child. Um, using my own child as an example, again, um, sometimes we try to do choices um, when having her pick up toys. You know, do you want to pick up your blocks first or your books first? And half the time that doesn't work. She doesn't want to pick up either one. <laughs> um, so then we move on like, okay, I'm going to pick your, we're going to pick up books first. Let's go do that. Um, so I think choices can be a good tool if you feel like your child will respond well to them. Um, but honestly, try it. If it works great, if it doesn't try something else. So if there's a meltdown around transitions, obviously I, I agree. I think it's a really good idea to empathize. It is hard to put up your tablet, but it is time for us to start getting ready for bed. What happens if it gets bigger than that? What do we do? So if your child has gotten to the point, you know, where they, you know, you're seeing a lot of tears, basically they don't have the ability to comply anymore. Um, you're not getting anywhere anyway with them in that moment. Um, the first thing you really need to do is check in with yourself as a parent. Um, you know, I, a really common time for kids to have meltdowns is bedtime. They're tired. It's been a long day. Um, if they're doing something fun, they don't want to go to bed. Um, you know, they're wondering what their parents are doing that's fun without them <laughs> after they go to bed. Like there's a lot of stuff around bedtime. Um, and so first checking in with yourself, because it's also usually the end of your day and you're tired um, to make sure that you are in a place where you can be calm. Um, because if you can't be calm, then you can't calm down your child. Um, so checking in with yourself, taking some breaths if needed, um, 
you know, in my household, sometimes it's calling in my partner to take over if I'm like, I do not have the capacity for this right now. <laughs> like I need a tag in. Um, and then you can apply your calm demeanor to the situation. So, you know, get down on their level. Um, with a young child, this might be all you're getting down all the way on the floor um, if they're on the floor. Um, with an older child, you know, maybe just squatting down or sitting down next to them. Um, using soothing words, um, but not too many words. Uh, think about, you know, more what you would say with an infant, like um, soothing phrases over and over. It's okay. I know it's so hard. I'm right here. It's okay. Um, if they are comfortable with physical touch, trying to do physical touch, because that's very calming. And then you just have to write it out with them, <laughs> which is the hardest part. Um, you can name their feelings if you can identify them, and that can often de-escalate um, if you put words to what they're feeling. Uh, but really, like the biggest part and the hardest part, I think, for most parents is sitting, sitting there with them until they're able to be calm. Um, which honestly, for most kids, probably just lasts a few minutes, but it feels like hours <laughs> when you're in it. It feels like forever. Time slows down. So I'm thinking about a specific transition that's difficult in my home and I'm sure very many homes, which is we've got to go to school. Um, and so I'm stressed out because now I'm going to be late to work if you're not getting in the car. Um, you didn't eat your breakfast, so you're probably hungry. So there's some behaviors going on there. So he needs to go to school. Um, I need to get to work. We have a lot of pressure going on in that situation. But also I'm just kind of wondering, I need to be with him in that meltdown. Um, how do I kind of recap with him after reminding him, yes, this was hard for you. I'm with you in this moment. And also we go to school Monday through Friday. Let's get going. Um, so how do we remind them that this is their reality while also empathizing with this is hard slash I don't really want to go to work today either. I get it. Yeah. So I think that, um, I mean, I know your child is younger, so um, this may be a little bit harder um, at his age, but for a lot of kids, you can talk to them and present this as a problem to solve together. Like mornings are really hard for us. You know, we're trying to get to work. You're trying to get to school. I feel like we're getting really frustrated in the morning. What do you think would be helpful? Um, and so mornings, actually, um, there's a book I really like called How to Be a Happier Parent um, by KJ Delantonia. Um, and she, in her book, she basically surveyed a bunch of parents and identified like the problem areas that parents were saying, like, this is the hard stuff that we're having to deal with that makes parenting not fun. And mornings were one of them. Um, so she talks about in the mornings, there's a lot of practical things that you can put in place. Maybe it's, we eat our breakfast in the car so that we eliminate all that time that we're spending with breakfast. You know, maybe it's, I have had um, friends who have had their kids sleep in their school clothes. So that, come. I mean, they were wrinkled, but it eliminated the battle of getting dressed in the morning. Um, so seeing practically kind of where you can give yourself a little more time. Um, and then also, um, a visual might help of like these, this is the order of how things go. Um, much like that timer, it can be a neutral thing that's showing the transition to the next thing rather than you having to say, you know, get your shoes, brush your teeth, 
have breakfast, you know, get to the car. Um, and then I believe also in the book, she talks about, um, I thought this was a really creative, playful thing to try and do is have a morning playlist that um, is the amount of time that you need to get ready in the morning. And so it's the same playlist every morning. So that creates predictability. It makes it a little more fun, have music going. And then they know, like, when you get to this song, it's almost like I need to be in the car by the time the song is over. Um, that can also be an external reminder like that timer so that you're not the one, you know, barking orders and reminders. I love that. And I love that I've heard you say so many times in our conversation today, play. Um, because what we know and what we've talked about probably in almost every podcast we've done is play disarms fear. And so if we do have a child who is having a response that continues to escalate, incorporating that play, I thought it was really sweet how you got your daughter to brush, you know, go brush her teeth with, you know, the bunny hops or the butterfly or the airplane or however you called it. Um, I think that's cool. And I think it empowers them and it brings some fun to these really mundane moments. That's also just kind of part of their little lives. Um, but I, the playlist that sounds really fun and disarming. So I love that idea. That's really cool. Yeah. When you can find those moments to integrate play and it works, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't always work. And, I, you know, realistically, sometimes I don't have the energy to put that creativity into it as a parent, but um, when it does work, it is, it makes you feel really good. <laughs> Lindsay, so I, I liked your book recommendation. Do you have any other recommendations for families if they're trying to kind of build a toolbox on helping um, routine and rituals in their home? Um, I would say uh, getting a some sort of visual for your routine. So um, like in my home, we have a giant wall calendar in my kitchen. Um, ours is, and your everybody's needs are different. Ours is monthly because I like being able to look at the big picture of what we've got coming up um, all month long. Um, and it's, I'm, in case people have not gathered by now, I'm pretty type A organized. So like, it's got the whole, like everybody has their own color and um, it's very, uh, it's very organized, but it doesn't have to be that extensive. You know, it can be just a whiteboard where you write what's going on that day or that week or whatever. Um, I would say, um, you know, now it might even be helpful to just have like a calendar where you know what day it is. <laughs> um, or if you've got a weekly one, you know, talking with your kids about this is what we've got coming up tomorrow. Um, one of the things I love about mine is um, it has the whole month laid out and then it has a section um, that says next month. So we can see what's coming the following month. So that um, helps us to stay on top of like, you know, birthdays or holidays or vacations or things. Um, and I really like that it's in our kitchen. Um, so it's in a really central place. We can see it from our kitchen table and we eat meals. And so we often end up having conversations about stuff that's on the calendar while we're eating. Um, it's just a natural time because everybody's staring at it. Um, and so we have a lot of conversations about what's upcoming, um, but having that visual, however you want to do it, um, I think can be helpful for any family and you can tailor it to whatever you need one day, two day, a week, a month, um, you know, color coded or not, <laughs> um, whatever your needs are. Um, 
and then um, I will say with your visual, if you do change, if you change the schedule, you have to remember to update your visual as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm even thinking about for little ones, you know, there could, if they can't read, you know, there could just be some pictures. Um, if a family had a child who spoke a different language than they did, you know, having graphics that could represent the actual experience. So they could feel like they had some control of that and were kind of on tasks um, and, and had a voice in those experiences. Yes, absolutely. Our families of very young children or who adopt from other countries definitely use those things, flashcards or like Velcro. Um if you have the um, if you have the time to dive into it, Pinterest is a really great resource for finding those things like already set out, so you're not having to Google like picture of a car. <laughs> um, you know, you can search like visual photo schedules or like you know schedules for preschoolers, and there are people that have already done that work for you. So that's a great thing to use um, with kiddos who maybe can't read. That's awesome. I'm like writing down phrases right now, visual photo calendar to um, get some regulation going in my house with predictability because I think it's important. Um, and I think it's important for parents to know kind of how they can even journal. They are having some behavioral struggles with their child that they can kind of watch. Is this a routine transition? Is this that this could be a play place where we could really build into our child and help them feel safe and comfortable? So I really appreciate the perspectives today and the conversation of that. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today, Lindsay. We will link all of your resources and um, recommended reads in our show notes. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Reframed. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to Reframed. Visit GladneyUniversity.org to access the show notes and learn about upcoming trainings at Gladney University. We'd love your feedback, so please rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.